Turn with me over to the book of Philemon. We're going to continue our study. We were wonderfully interrupted by Mother's Day last week. So we're going to continue studying until we make it through the entire book. We're going to read verses 6 and 7 this week. Verses 6 and 7. Paul is writing, and he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Verse 7, for I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Lord, help us as we study. When we talked about this prior, we ended at verse 5 where Paul was commending Philemon on his faith and his love. Just extraordinary stuff he was doing. And here he begins to amplify what it has done, those two elements have done in his life. And he's praying, appealing to Philemon, even as he's talking to God about his faith and his love. Namely, that the faith he has would be in fellowship either with the people who were there in the church in Colossae or with Paul himself that the fellowship of their faith would find effectiveness in the earth based on everything that dwells that's good within them and he wants to let Philemon know that he has been very comforted and has experienced extraordinary joy as a result of Philemon's love which has benefited all the saints, refreshed them so I want to talk to you on these two verses on two topics. One, it's important that our faith be attached. And two, we need to have active affection. It's important that our faith be attached. So attached belief and then active affection. As Paul is, is writing to Philemon, he's got, he's got a thought in mind. He's leading to a point. He's got a big ask of Philemon. And we'll get to that later in the study. But he's going to do it on the basis of the, the faith that Philemon has and the love that he has exhibited toward all the saints. He is, he's going to appeal to Philemon on the basis of faith so that when he asks, it's not on the basis of obligation. He doesn't feel like he's being demanded of. But he can respond through his faith and look at it as a moment to sacrifice in terms of worship of Christ when he does what Paul asks. And so his faith needs to be engaged here, and our faith needs to be engaged every day. We don't just have faith to get to heaven. We have faith to make a difference here on the earth. Our faith needs to be active. James says that faith without deeds is dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith that does not work is dead. God's faith is a gift. And he allows us the privilege of believing. And it works if somebody works it. But if nobody works it, it's dormant. Now you may go to heaven. Nobody's going to question whether you've got faith and enough orthodoxy that, that allows you to, to go into glory. Nobody's going to question that. But... Jesus questioned the disciples' faith all the time. There they were out on the sea. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. A storm arises, unexpected. 
waves crash over the boat, not just into the boat. The disciples who are fishermen experienced on the Sea of Galilee look at Jesus who is asleep in the hull and say, do you not care that we are perishing? They thought they were going to die. The ship was going down. Jesus was asleep and not bailing, which is his normal posture in what you would consider an emergency. Asleep and not helping at all. Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says, huh. He gets up, stands at the bow of the boat, and says, shh. That's Brett's paraphrase for hush, be still. The winds immediately stopped, and it says that the waves immediately became calm. Now, everybody knows waves do not stop until they hit something. They just keep, a storm out in the middle of the Pacific might take 15 days for the waves to reach the shore of California. But they're coming because nothing stops them except the shore. These waves had something to stop them. The weightiness of the word of God fell upon them. And immediately the sea became, became calm. Amazing. And then Jesus turns and looks at the disciples and said, <clears throat> um, question, where'd your faith go? What, what did I tell you when we got in the boat? What did I tell you? I said we're going to the other side. Now what about this storm made you think that my word wasn't going to come to pass? Where'd your faith go? And God has a destination for you. But in the midst of getting to where you need to be, there will be storms so intense that it makes it seem like you will never get there. And you are going to be required to exert your faith to maintain your sanity and your progress. Jesus said, where did your, how did it sprout wings and fly away? Help me with that. We're called to have faith. But in the midst of us calling to have, uh, of this calling to have faith, and indeed our faith needs to be directed primarily toward God to help us, to save us, to strengthen us, to deliver us when we're in trouble. When we find ourselves needing protection, we need to be able to pull upon all the passages that we can find in the Bible that talk about it. Psalm 91 needs to be your best friend in those moments. No plague's going to come near your dwelling. You've made the Lord your refuge and your fortress. You hide under the shadow of his wings. His pinions are your roof, Brett's paraphrase. Even if you fall, you you won't fall headlong because the angels will give charge concerning you and pick you up. No arrow that flies by day nor the terror in night will hurt you. You need to be able to pull those things up and let them go directly to God in connection so that those promises of confidence can come down to you and your soul and and begin to, to drive down like pylons, knowing that your God is watching over your life. You need to know Isaiah, where it says no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. In moments of insecurity, you need to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not peril, not famine, not poverty, not sword, nothing. He has got you in his hand. And in Matthew 10, 29, my father, Jesus says, is greater than all and nobody can take you out. You need those passages. You need to have a vertical relationship that expresses faith toward God, that, that whereby he can insert himself into your circumstances where you don't see him 
where you don't feel him. And all of a sudden your faith rises and it meets God and God comes down and begins to change your life. If he doesn't change the circumstances, he changes you so you can better face them. But as much as we need that, we need, we need a different kind of connection in faith. We, we need a connection that goes horizontally. Paul's saying here, let the fellowship of your faith, let the koinonia in the Greek of your faith be effective. Too many people's faith is lonely. Don't have any fellowship. Oh, you're going to heaven. But there are places where you don't see God meet you because he has prescribed other means to get that need met. He has intentionally omitted himself. And you cry out on a regular basis saying, where are you? How come you won't assist me? Why don't you come and meet my need? Well, your fellowship and faith is lacking. You aren't tied to anybody else. There are certain things that God has prescribed that people should, should help you do. And because you've been hurt in the past, you don't want to open up to nobody. You don't want to walk close with nobody. You're concerned about what they're going to do with the information if you share it with them. You, you build up walls of defensiveness because you know God will treat you right, but you know people won't. Folk will do stuff to you. Folk will hurt you. And remember, you're one of those folk. So when you don't attach yourself to somebody because you say, I can't trust them, they're saying the same thing back at you. And the enemy is the only one who is benefiting. If I can keep them separate from one another, I can win. Divide and conquer is a strategy archaic. Old is it? It ain't new. He's trying to keep us separate from one another so we can't accomplish that which God has called his body to do, not just his person. You need to have fellowship in your faith. It needs to be attached, joined with somebody. My daughter, Brooke, I'm teaching her how to drive. This is number six. We're out driving and we're listening to the radio. She said, Daddy, why don't you have a radio program? I said, mm, I'm just doing fine without it. She said, but you could be famous. I mean, everybody could know who you are. I mean, people know who you are now, but you, you could, like, be famous. Because, like, you're a good communicator and, like, you could be famous and, like, famous. <laughs> Hyperbole. I said, well, baby, I, I, Daddy didn't want to be famous. I want to be so enveloped with the people that hardly anybody notices me. I want my faith so tied in fellowship to a group of folk that they become my amplifiers. They're my voice. And if they don't speak, I ain't going to shout. You are my speakers, my woofers and tweeters. <laughs> There's no point, at least in my estimation, of trying to figure out how to create more superstars. I want super people. I'm happy for all the individuals that are ascending above normality. 
because they're doing stuff that other people don't. Ain't mad at their accomplishment at all. Happy about whatever God is doing with them. I just know that my primary job is to equip you to be great, not for you to be the platform for me to be great. That's how my faith is in fellowship with you. I say no to a lot because I can't say yes with you. I'd rather be defined by you than you beginning to be a platform upon which I define myself. I am tied in faith with Pastor Jim, Pastor Duke, with Chris and Tamar Clark, with Jim LaFoon. I'm tied in faith with so many folk that it, it's hard for me to ever think about myself without automatically just knee-jerk thinking, how is this going to affect everybody else around me? This is the kind of fellowship that Paul wants us to have in our faith. And when we have fellowship like this, other things begin to happen. We, we get joined in, in heart, not just in theology. It's important for us to be in unity in theology as best we can. We're not going to agree about everything that one person thinks about the Bible and, and I might say no and eh. orthodoxy, yes, but there's no way for anybody to be perfectly aligned with the next person theologically. But in general principle, there are some things that allow us to call us Grace Covenant and, and hopefully beyond just congregation family. But then our theology should move us into something else. A heart tie. Jesus' cry in the garden was, Father, help them to be one, just as you and I are one. A unity, a relational contact, a, a, a joining of soul that can't be broken. It's just really, really hard to tear folk apart. Offense doesn't tear them apart. Bitterness doesn't tear them apart. Mistrust doesn't tear them apart. People always relationally begin to, to use the idea of trust as a good justification for not being with somebody. I don't trust them. I've forgiven them, but I don't trust them. If you live with somebody long enough, they're going to give you a reason not to trust. Yes, not only hurt you, but do something sometimes intentionally. They'll give you a reason. Now, what are you going to do? Take the most important relationships you got and throw them down the tubes? Put them in file 13? You can't do that. You've got to have an attitude like Jesus, it says in John 2. And Jesus knew what was on the inside of every man, so he did not entrust himself to man. Yet, he still said, I'm going to be with them and die for them. So it's one thing to say, okay, I know who you are. I get that now. You have shown your colors. But what are you going to do now? That drew Jesus to humanity rather than repelled him. And he said, oh, I know who you are. I know you'll fall away. I get the fact that you are a fair weather believer in me. Soon as I'm blessing you, good. Soon as I'm not, bye. Won't see you. 
There in the garden, you say you're going to be faithful to me, Peter. You say I'm your homie. I will never leave you nor deny you. Got it. In three hours, you're going to deny me. Cock's going to crow three times and you're going to feel real bad. I got it. But you know what? That has nothing to do with how I love you and going to treat you. I can't entrust myself to, to you for my benefit. That's what that means. You can't help me in this area. But I can still give myself to you. That's the kind of faith we're supposed to have in fellowship. Not letting anything withdraw us. And this is not just theology I'm talking to you about. This is how I live. And it's not because bread is so wonderful. It's just I had a revelation one day. I bet I'd done some stuff that made God not trust me. I bet I'd I bet I did some stuff that made me unlovable to his love. I bet I did some things that caused him to be angry, yet he was not. And yet he continued to reach out to me and pull me in, bring me close. Not just tolerate me, not just call me a servant, leave me in and relegate me to a position in the house that would be greater than I should deserve. But not still a son. And yet he called me by his name. Gave me his, adopted me, made me his boy. Gave me, and not only, not just, not the kind of boy like, like Jephthah. Jephthah, Judges chapter 11, was Gideon's son. Excuse me, Gilead's son. But Gilead, Gilead had a bunch of other sons. And, and Jephthah happened to be the son of another woman. Harlot. Gilead's other boys didn't want Jephthah inheriting anything from their father. They wanted to keep all the inheritance because it would have meant they would have split it with this boy. So they cut him out. God didn't make me one of those sons, yet I would have been happy just to bear my daddy's name. He gave me an inheritance. All the while, I was doing the wrong thing, and he knew that when I got in, I wasn't right enough to be right. He had to make me right in order for me to be right. Even when I said yes to him, he realized I wouldn't do the right thing. He had to give me righteousness in order to see me as being right. Are you hearing the lack that I had? How inadequate I was? How less than I was? And yet he brought me in and made me what he needed me to be to accept me. Help me with that. And we have difficulty forgiving somebody for betraying us once. For hurting us once. For not keeping their word once. And you cannot count the number of times that you have offended your wonderful, holy, pure daddy. And he has decided it does not matter. Because I gave my son for your benefit. And I'm going to fulfill so that he might receive the glory deserving of his suffering. Come here. No, but jump, but jump. Mm. my faith is tied with people and it's the best way I know how to live and it brings me in heart unity with them and nothing breaks that I can't let anything break that if somebody doesn't want to be with me I can't make them stay won't even try 
but I do want to make it hard for them to leave. I want to love them so much that they feel like they can't find anybody who can love them like that. Nobody who will endure them like that. Because that's how God loved me. I can only do what I saw my daddy do. And then lastly, our faith ought to be that which produces something. Your faith ought to matter in the earth to such a degree that that you're, you're, you're so productive. You're producing fruit. Your faith is changing environments that are less than right. Over Yorkshire Elementary, we, we adopted an elementary school down the street in Manassas. And the principal's so happy he cries whenever he thinks about Grace Covenant Church because of what we're doing over there. We give out coats and shoes and gloves in the wintertime. We provide free camps for soccer and football. Uh, we take our athletes that are in the church and go over there and they serve for free. We do tutorial services after school. Forty-five folk in this church volunteer. And they, I'm going to say this so that you need to open your ears right. They don't care what we say as long as we help them. Did you hear what I didn't say? Do what you want to do as long as you help us. See, when things get real bad, separation of what and what just don't matter too much no more. Just come and help us, please. We need help. We need help. But somebody's faith is making a difference over there. Our mission trips to Africa. Somebody's faith is making a difference. When we go over to George Mason University with our, our campus group, we got three campus leaders over there. One in particular, David Hermes, who's, who's in charge. 145 kids on Sunday night during the school year get together and meet, and it is a crazy wonderful service. They aren't you. They are what you used to be. <laughs> Nutty, crazy, overzealous, out there on the extreme of what worship looks like, hollering, screaming, yeah, God! Best place in the world to be. Sunday night is fabulous. David Hermes is killing it over there. And I'm looking at him thinking, man, your faith is making a difference. And it's not just his faith. It's a fellowship of my faith with his faith. Us pulling together in that, our whole staff pulling together to make him successful. Now, he's doing all the labor over there, but our faith joined together. He couldn't do it without us, and we couldn't do it without him. How is your faith making a difference in the community? What fruit is it producing? Can you see anything? It might be because your faith hadn't fellowship with anybody lately. Just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Your faith needs to fellowship with somebody. Get in there and tie. And, and, and we love multitasking. See, we, 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 you're the, we're the generation that, that's on Facebook uh, doing our homework while we watch TV. Yeah, that's what our high school kids say. Mama, I can do this. I can do this. This is what I can't just sit there with nothing. I have to have my earbuds in. I have to be on Facebook, the TV on, and the video on YouTube as well as... <laughs> Give me A's. That's all I'm asking for. Give me A's. Give me A's. We love multitasking. Well, multitask this. Multitask with your faith. Let there be a heart tie that's developed when you have joined with somebody to do something great for the community. Multitask like that. 
And then he says, this faith ought to work and be effective based on every good thing that dwells within you for Christ's sake. The good stuff down on the inside. And what is down on the inside of every one of us? The presence of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead. He lives there. The effect of him living there, Peter says, 2 Peter verse 3, chapter 1 says, that everything that pertains to life and godliness, everything that pertains to life and godliness, is on the inside of you in Christ Jesus. We have it all. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, we got it. You lack nothing. Now, we feel like we lack because we can't find what we need when we need it. But, but that's not because it's not there. That's primarily because you don't know where it is. Hmm. See, the Holy Spirit is there. But because we don't read a lot about him, we don't get in his word to understand how he moves, what he wants to do. He has defined himself by the word. In the beginning was the word, John says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, speaking of who Jesus was. The, the, the word is who God is. And the more we understand his word, the more we understand how he moves, what he wants to do, what he is doing when we can't figure out what he's doing, where he is when he seems to be invisible. We can begin to look at the Bible and say, oh, my goodness, because there is nothing new that's happening in your life that hadn't already happened. Somebody's been through it. Somebody in the Bible usually has been through what you're going through. And they either did it poorly or they did it right. So you get an example of somebody who messed up and you say, oh, I'm not going that way. Do you know we, we discipline our children with the rod when they were young? Spanking, whooping. Yes, we did it. Happy to have done it. And it helped them be right. All my kids are right. <clears throat> but but the, the amazing thing was this. We had to work really hard with Joseph, our firstborn. Less hard with Brian. Really, really hard with Garrison, my third. He was, an, he was something. Meredith number four and generally speaking the more children in the house who were disciplined correctly and understood what it meant to 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 obey the word of God the less we had to do with the, the later ones something happened in the culture of the home and it wasn't just the culture and, and tradition that we built of obedience so that was part of it but it was the younger kids saw the older kids disobeying and they looked they heard the screaming in the room they heard the swat on the behind. They heard all that. Paint stits breaking. They heard all that. And, and, and they said to themselves, whatever they did to get that, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. So as we discipline one, two got disciplined. You with me? There's something about the Holy Spirit allowing for the learning process to increase in people's lives as a result of understanding what this word has to say. And, 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 and you, can, you can begin to amplify your experience as you go on in God by looking at what other people did so that you don't have to make it happen yourself. Why you want to reinvent the wheel? Why you want to... Listen, you don't have to let your experience be your best teacher. Let mine. Let somebody else's experience be your teacher. Get this word down on the inside of you. Now, when you get this word down on the inside of you, you understand more about how God moves. 
and, and, and I'm going to say this without much qualification, but I need, to, I need to emphasize something here. You won't pray as much as you normally would pray when you get the word on the inside of you. Moses was leading the people out of Egypt, and, and, and he was going one direction. And God told him, I want you to take a U-turn and go down and camp by the sea. So God was setting something up. He said, I'm going to make Pharaoh angry, and he's going to wish he hadn't let you go, and he's going to come out, and I'm going to deal with this so you never have to be concerned about Pharaoh ever again, never Egypt, never again. So they turned around, took a U-turn, went down, camped by the Red Sea. Now Moses didn't know what was going on. Pharaoh heard they had turned around. He said, oh, we got them now. They're camped by the Red Sea. Let's go get them. So Pharaoh took his entire army out going to say we're going to bring these people back I don't know what came over us we shouldn't have let our slaves go we need our slaves we got to get our slaves back let's go get them so they went to go get them as they the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming over the the desert in the dust line they were going hey 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 Moses Moses what kind of leader are you Egypt is coming and the Red Sea is right here. We got the Red Sea in front of us in Egypt to the back. There are mountains on either side. There's no place to go. We are, you led us to a box canyon? Are you kidding me? What kind of leader are you? You can't say the cloud, that mystical stuff. You got to have a plan. You got to be strategic. You can't just follow a cloud. You got to make good decisions. We need a new leader. We're going back to Egypt. And Moses hears what the people say. He says, stand here and watch. God's about to do something. And then the next verse in chapter 14, it says, and God said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Now, we don't know what Moses said, but it probably didn't sound like this. Oh, Lord, please help us, your servant today. For God to say, why are you crying out to me? You know what it sounded like. Wait a minute, God. This ain't right. You told me to come this direction and now Pharaoh's coming after the people and they're mutiny. They're committing mutiny. They want to do this thing. They're trying to get rid of me and I thought I was your man and you put us in this situation. How in the world are we supposed to get out of this? These people don't know how to battle a war. I'm stuck. Thus God says, why are you crying out to me? And my response would have been, though probably irreverently, well, who am, who am I supposed to cry out to? I mean, you, you're the one that put us here. Yeah, what about, what? I can't talk to nobody else. But the implication was, you don't need to be talking to me. Do something. <laughs> he said, lift up your staff and, and tell this sea to go away. And the inference from God saying, why are you crying out to me? Do something is Moses was supposed to know that the Red Sea was supposed to part. Again, in which I would have said, did I miss the memo? <laughs> where, 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 when did I, where, how, when did that ever happen? What man has ever lifted up a stick and saw a sea part? How was I supposed to know that's what was supposed to go on? Ah! See, Moses didn't understand what was on the inside of him. He didn't understand all that was there. Through the goodness that dwells on the inside of you, 
you are supposed to respond in faith to every circumstance well. And some stuff you aren't supposed to ask God about. Are you listening to me? You're not supposed to ask God about it. You're just supposed to do something. And when you cry out to him, he's going to say, why are you talking to me? <laughs> do something. You're supposed to have a wealth of information down on the inside. <laughs> Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell within you. Richly. Come on now, Bible. Say it again. How? Richly, Richly you Bible students. Richly. That means you are supposed to have a vault of Scripture. A Fort Knox of Scripture down on the inside of you. Unfortunately, most of us have piggy banks. We drop our little dimes and quarters, nickels in there. Piggy banks don't take dollars. You got to fold it up 16 times before it'll fit. The word of Christ dwells within most believers poorly. And so when circumstances come for which you're supposed to have an answer, instead you cry out to God because you don't know what to do. I am trying to live my life in such unbroken fellowship with the Father, relationally connected praying without ceasing that when a circumstance comes I'm not always every once in a while yeah but I'm not always saying God help, God help, God help, God help at some point we're supposed to walk with him not just behind him and we are supposed to exert some influence and force in the earth because our faith is in fellowship with him and others to accomplish great things in the earth. And on the basis of our faith being in fellowship, we then, from the goodness that dwells on the inside, know exactly how we ought to respond. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Richly. Secondly, we need to have active, active affection, love. He said, your love has brought me great joy and comfort because through it, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Paul wrote a lot of letters. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Philemon is his shortest note, shortest one. Now, Paul did not write in chapter and verse. Paul wrote just letters. We put it in chapter and verse so we can better identify where passages are and refer to them easier. All good. But it, it, it says a lot about who Philemon was that Paul only had to write what we would call one chapter. Paul usually wrote a letter to a congregation to, or to a person trying to emphasize one point. In the emphasis of that one point, he would deal with other issues that he heard about because he wanted to make sure that he got a panoramic solution to the entire church's or individual's problem, problems. And so he would write about a lot of stuff. You look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy mostly deals with fear in Timothy's life, mostly. 
And Paul is trying to get him to identify with him again, even though Paul is seen as an outcast and somebody who is unwise in, in the way he moves spiritually because every, every place he goes, he's warned not to go and he gets in trouble and gets in jail. And, and now folk are beginning to, to talk about him a little bit, saying he's just unwise in the way he does stuff. He deserves to be in jail because we told him not to go and he went anyway. And now people are distancing themselves from Paul, namely Timothy. And he says, don't be ashamed of my bonds. So the entire letters about fear, but then he deals with how folks ought to treat one another in the church and, 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 and all kind of other issues to teach Timothy what needs to be done congregationally so he can address things that are happening in Ephesus. But with Philemon, he deals with one issue. And that's it. One. I want you to exert your faith on this guy Onesimus who's your slave. And if there were other issues to deal with, he would have written about them. Corinth. Sixteen chapters. Sixteen chapters. And not just sixteen chapters. A whole nother letter. With thirteen chapters. Corinth had problems. Lots of problems. Lots and lots and lots of problems. And it took that long for Paul to write to them to try to address everything that was wrong. Romans, 16 chapters. Titus, three chapters. Titus and Timothy were his boys. Those were his boys. In every way, birthed by him spiritually. They called him daddy. Three chapters to Titus. Three chapters in, in 2 Timothy. Six chapters in 1 Timothy. With Philemon, one one and he has every confidence that the request he's going to make is going to be fulfilled by him he says I know you are going to know the right thing to do and do it he doesn't correct him one time in this he just simply says this when I think about your leadership in the church I sleep real good you bring me joy and comfort every time I think about your leadership how you love people how you care for people. They are so refreshed, so nurtured, so cared for. It's just amazing how you do what you do. I never am concerned about it. I sleep real good when I think about the church in Colossae because you do what you do. The word there, love, is the word agape, which is, is the unconditional love that God has toward us. It's defined by his actions toward humanity. Yet it's that which helps define our actions toward humanity. And everything about it, whenever it's used, is to convey that it took something a little bit extra, going beyond convenience, in order to accomplish it. Finally, I mean, you, to get to this place where you love the saints, you had to love the unlovable. You had to be concerned about that person that was trying to, to fight you and considered you their enemy. You had to love them. You had to, to do more than just tolerate. You had to endure be compassionate in the midst of your waiting for them to get right. You were amazing. And when Paul, when he ever commends anybody on something of their faith and love, you have to realize he's doing it from the context of his own life, which was extraordinary. Extraordinary. He had very high standards. And he thought Philemon was amazing. That's the kind of love we need to exert regularly. Active affection that goes beyond feeling 
doesn't have much to do with emotion. It's just a decision. We choose to love the unlovable. We choose to care for those who probably would want to do us harm. We choose to be tolerant and patient and enduring and forbearing and exercise compassion in the midst of it, not keeping people, keeping people at arm's length. We choose to treat people like God treated us. Choose to love like that. Now, as I close, seeing that Philemon's life was so right and that Paul just gave one chapter to any instruction he needed to give him. If Paul were writing to you, how short would the letter be? Would it be a letter like Corinth? 16? Would he need two letters? Would he need two letters to fix all the stuff in your life? Or would he just need to make a request, knowing that you're going to fulfill it and have nothing else to say except, when I think about you, I sleep real good. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for exerting your faith. Thank you for fellowshipping with me in love. Thank you for caring for the people of God. Who you are has gotten back to me. And dude, you are amazing. Let our lives be such that it only takes one letter. That's one chapter from Paul. 